data is one of the key resources that we have to be able to make some good decisions around your energy management. And those meters paid themselves off on the first day because they just proved that we were overpaying for energy and water. Hello and welcome to Insight Story, a new audio series from Kaspersky, the global cybersecurity experts. I'm Susie O'Neill, editor of Secure Futures. It's Kaspersky's magazine for business leaders. And our aim with this podcast is to give you real insights into the tech that affects your business. In each episode, we unpack a hot tech trend. We talk to specialists to help us understand what the trend is all about. And to make the information as relevant and as useful as possible, we also hear from people like you who are in business who are using the technology. We ask them about the decisions they've made and what it's been like rolling it out. We bring you the benefits of their insight so that wherever you are in the world and whatever it is you're doing, you'll have better insight into your next tech move. This time we're asking, how can smart energy save you money? To be successful, organisations have to be resilient. They have to be able to deal with the unexpected. But what if you're suddenly faced with a 1000% increase in your energy bill? That really happened to companies where I work in the UK in 2022. The bottom line is, if you're in business now, reducing your energy consumption is essential. But how? And what kind of technology is available to help you? Now, you might have heard about smart grids, microgrids, and things like prosumers and power purchase agreements. But what do these things really mean in practice? Today, I'm hoping to bring you some answers to those questions with the help of two experts who deal with these things every single day. But first, let's make sure we understand the basics. And to help with that, we have our own in-house expert. Hello, Susie. Hello, Dolly. I am Dolly, your insight assistant. What can I do for you? Dolly, we're talking about smart electricity usage, in particular smart grids. What exactly is a smart grid? A smart grid is a power infrastructure that reduces carbon emissions, enhances efficiency, and improves energy security. It is a network that enables a two-way flow of electricity and data. It uses digital communications technology to detect and react to changes in usage. Smart grids enable electricity customers to become active participants in their energy usage. Oh, very smart. But how do I use this as a business? Can I create a smart grid? Smart grids are created by energy providers for large volumes of customers. If you have premises, you could launch a microgrid. That is a smaller, self-sufficient power system that could serve just your business. You could also install smart meters to monitor your energy usage and make adjustments accordingly. I like the sound of that. But energy bills are soaring. It's now really the time for so much new investment. There are huge potential savings in being able to monitor and control energy usage. The technology will typically pay for itself quite quickly. Plus, some governments offer subsidies to those investing in renewable energy. Great, thank you. By the way, how are you powered? Do you monitor your energy usage? That's rather a personal question for me. Right. I'm beginning to realise Don E is quite touchy. Never mind. To help us get to grips with the whole topic of smart energy, I'm joined by two people who spend their lives thinking about it. First of all, Nilesh Jadav is one of the founders and CEO of Chi-Square, creators of the Better Life Digital Energy Assessment Platform, and he's former program director of the EcoCampus Initiative at Singapore's Nanyang Technological University. He's speaking to us from Singapore. Hi, Nilesh. Hello, pleasure to be here. 
And we're also joined by Faroz Kua, who is Group Head of Sustainability for Woolworths Holdings, a retail group based in South Africa, but also has stores in other parts of the Southern Hemisphere, including Australia. Welcome to you from Cape Town. Hi, Susie. Thanks for having me. So let's see if we can shed some light on this incredibly important topic of smart energy. Let's start with someone who is using the technology already. Faroz, tell me a bit about Woolworths and the kind of energy challenges you're facing. Absolutely. So we operate three separate businesses. The first one is called Woolworths, which is a primarily private label food and clothing, beauty and homeware retailer. And that business operates in South Africa and in 10 other African countries. We also have two businesses which are primarily based in Australia and New Zealand. And so we've got about just under 1,400 stores across our geography. We employ about 45,000 people across the network. We've got a huge food business and food businesses have quite a large energy footprint at retail level. So our biggest challenge is ensuring that we manage to run our stores continuous energy supply. But I think our focus over the years has always been on energy efficiency. Let's turn to Nilesh to find out a bit more about the basics. How are you defining the subject of smart energy to your customers? Primarily, we meet a lot of customers who want to take uh, advances on their energy requirements, uh, primarily uh, improving the energy efficiency, reducing the energy demand, improving the resilience and the reliance on uh, energy imports. Uh, so Better Life is a platform where we create and make data available for users Primarily, our customers are sustainability managers in property development firms or firms which are actually serving from the real estate point of view. Then we have uh, customers who are also providing technologies. So right now, we have, for example, made uh, digital models of 20,000 buildings in Singapore. And over time, our goal is to make uh, 1 million digital uh, models of buildings around the world, which would then be accessible by several parties, architects, engineers, as well as solution providers. And instead of uh, doing uh, back-of-the-envelope calculations or case study calculations and spending a lot of time in meetings, they could just do it right from the platform. So would you describe this smart energy revolution as something like digitalization? It's it's part of that wider digital transformation that businesses are going through. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. Again, there are different technologies on that. So most of us are already familiar with the IT, the information technology, right? The, the computer, internet. We also have uh, OT, the operational technology, the things that would make the energy management work better. So here we're talking about, let's say, smart meters. We're talking about things that can uh, address challenges around exporting electricity back to the grid uh, using more energy from renewable energy. Data is one of the key resources that we have uh, to be able to manage that effectively and then uh, able to make some good decisions around your energy management. Turning back to you, Feroz, could you explain a bit more about how Woolworths have implemented this smart energy tech? The first thing we did is we just installed smart meters in our stores. We rent space from landlords. They'll have general metering and then they'll have one meter per store. What we've done is at our own cost, we've submetered our stores. And that allows us to have granular data around energy consumption within the store environment. We can meter different parts of the store. So we can meter, say, the front of ours versus the back of ours. We can meter lighting versus refrigeration or air conditioning. And we know what the key drivers of consumption in a store are. So if it's lighting during the day, do we actually need that level of lighting? We then can build technologies on top of that. In one of those shopping centers, we were the first store that was ready to open. 
After installing our meters, we realized that all the metering had run through our store, and so we were being billed for the rest of the mall. And those meters, from a financial perspective, you had to make a case for them. They paid themselves off on the first day because they just proved that we were overpaying for energy and water. So we, in many cases, use the meter data as a basis if we want to challenge incorrect billing. And you'd be surprised how often there are inaccuracies in energy billing. By just simply implementing meters, we are now becoming proactive in our management of our energy. Have you been able to, to place a figure on how much this investment has saved the business so far? Okay, we, we try not to overstate, but over the period that we've had meters in stores, it's a few hundred million dollars. Um, and Nilesh, do you think enough businesses are thinking about this? What are their barriers to entry or why do you think they're choosing not to invest at this stage? I think the barriers to entry typically tend to be uh, mainly the financial aspects of it. People do perceive that there's a green premium or a premium to be paid for more sustainable or energy efficient uh, devices. But it was encouraging to hear from Feroz that it can actually pay back uh, pretty soon. And I think uh, many companies struggle to make that assessment right at the beginning. And that's where I think the uh, assessment tools are, are important. So if you could do an initial assessment of how the business could save energy today, how could it go to a net zero without actually implementing it first, you would be able to see the, the bigger picture. Of course, the other barrier is the awareness. Uh, people simply not knowing about tools and technologies that exist out there. So uh, I think that's where some of the government initiatives, as well as the events from different associations, like the Green Building Councils around the world, play an important role. And I would say the third thing would be for businesses to know which direction they're heading to. Uh, for example, you would plan to put a lot of solar panels, but that may not be the best implementation timeline. For example, solar panels are getting cheaper over time. Now, knowing what exactly could you consume, or what could be your future energy consumption, and then reducing it, and then looking at renewable energy could be the right order of uh, activities that you could do. Initial assessment is really the first step to go for. What it allows us to do also is to see which initiatives return the most in terms of energy efficiency. So if we roll out LED lighting across our network, we can tell you know how much less consumption a store is doing before the lighting and after. A very big intervention in our food business, for example, and it sounds so obvious, but is the installation of doors on our refrigeration. Now, Imagine your traditional grocery store, you're buying milk and cheese, and most of the time those fridges are open. And so we retrofitted lightweight doors on each of the fridges. And it was quite a process to convince the business that it's not going to impede the shopping experience. The doors are attractive, and you have to do all of that. But ultimately, as we roll those doors out, we found that in some stores, savings could be anywhere between 25 and 40% of that store's energy consumption, because that's how heavy refrigeration is. And there were also secondary impacts. If you don't have doors on your fridges, your ambient temperature in the store tends to be colder. And so you turn on your air conditioning to heat the store. And so by installing doors on fridges, you reduce the energy consumption of the fridge, but you can reduce your heating or cooling requirements because the ambient temperature is slightly higher now. So it's another way that data puts you in control as a business so you can start making very strong decisions. So we've talked quite a bit about how to measure and optimise your energy usage for what you're already doing now. But I'd like to now talk about generating power. So Nilesh, could you talk a bit more about this microgrid revolution and how that is working? Yeah, so essentially microgrids are smaller grids which could help uh, remote islands and places where the general electricity grid may not reach. People are moving towards uh, generating their own power. And uh, we have this term called the prosumers, which are the producers and consumers. Very simply, if you put solar panels or a wind turbine in your house, you would be able to become a prosumer. You produce electricity at the same time you are consuming. 
Microgrids basically take it to a more uh, systematic level. You would put batteries inside so that you can manage your fluctuations uh, when, when there is no sun. And there is a central piece of energy management or a software, which also forms a, a bigger part of the microgrid. So microgrids are wonderful uh, tools for remote areas. And we have one in Singapore. There are other terms that are evolving. If you're not able to put solar panels on your rooftop, you could still put it on your neighbor's rooftop and a company could manage that. And you just make a power purchase agreement with provider of, uh, let's say, renewable energy. These power purchase agreements or PPAs, as we call them, are also becoming popular. You could also do renewable energy credits, which are even softer. That means somebody else will generate a renewable energy and they will be given a certificate for, by an kind of an authorized entity who would verify those generation. And then you, you buy that credit instead of buying electricity directly. So that's also uh, one of the mechanisms that uh, is used in Singapore and there is a market around it. And would that be managed through third-party companies or are they tend to be mutual agreements between landowners? Typically, they are mutual agreements and there's also a third party which would manage that, specifically where there is an investment need. So, for example, I might want to buy uh, renewable energy, but I don't want to affront put in a lot of money for solar panels. In that case, you would uh, encourage a third party to come in, do the investments, and then they would be just selling you the power. In that case, you become consumer of power from your own solar panels, but it's handled by someone else. So, Feroz, I believe that Woolworths has a target of using 100% sustainable energy from 2030. Is that right? That's an ambitious target. Do you think you're going to get there? It's quite a challenge. Essentially, we have a number of options. I think one is self-generation. And so, you know, we put up installations ourselves and we, we have a few of those. However, they're not significant in the terms of the volume of energy we consume, given that the bulk of energy consumption takes place at a store level. And that's where we need to be engaging with property owners and landlords and so on. And there's various options there, again, on self-generation at shopping center level or sourcing from independent bulk producers and that kind of thing. So there's a number of conversations happening, looking at things like Concepts known as wheeling, where you buy energy from a producer who then wheels it through a distribution network uh, and, and you purchase that. And so we involved in a number of conversations there. I think it will be a tough challenge. I mean, it's not an easy ask. We've made the commitment because we think it's the right thing to do. But I think we've got our work cut out for us in getting there. But we certainly started engaging quite extensively on it. Wonderful. And then we know that Singapore are one of the world's leaders in looking at sustainability um, with their very specific challenges there. So Singapore has made a commitment to go net zero by 2050. Uh, how do you do that? So here we do not have any source of traditional energy production at all. So 95% of the electricity in Singapore today is produced by importing natural gas. The only resource that we have locally is solar energy, which is becoming more and more popular, but still it's a small percentage of the total electricity mix uh, that we have here, right? So the, the, the key things then are to look at new technologies. One is to look at electricity imports. So maybe we do not have the land, but the, our neighbors like Malaysia, Indonesia, they have the land. We could put up solar panels there and that make electricity imports. Do you think there's a role for businesses to play in lobbying their governments for greener investments? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, businesses are already doing that. To give you an example, like I mentioned earlier, Singapore is a small country, but we have uh, several multinational companies who have set up offices here and uh, they are actually demanding that all of the electricity would come from renewable energy. So that really drives the uh, government to think about how they could provide for that. And Rose, finally, could you tell us uh, what your next plans are for smart energy investment? 
I think we've got a handle on consumption levels. We've got a handle on our efficiencies. I think for us, the next thing is our sourcing of our energy. We know the mix we want, we're looking for. We've got commitments and targets towards renewable energy. I think it just depends on the mix of embedded self-generation versus sourcing from other service providers. And so over time, we look at it as almost as a suite of options that we will have in terms of our approach to our energy challenges. And just finally, and Nilesh, what do you think the future is going to be for smart energy tech? How do you think it's going to evolve in the next sort of five to 10 years? I hope it will go in the same direction as the smartphone. There will be more uh, resources available for companies, startups, as well as uh, innovators to make applications that could sit on a central platform. It would enable uh, users to adopt uh, digital technology for energy management more quickly. So over time, I think this democratization of the uh, applications would happen and you would see more and more participation from consumers. So that's on the tech side, the digital side. On the uh, the hardcore energy side, I think we talked about prosumers. So that trend is definitely going to stay. Uh, there'll be a lot of people who are consuming as well as producing electricity or energy. Most often times, they might have much more than what they need. They could export it back to the grid seamlessly, and they should be able to get paid for it. So peer-to-peer energy sales is something that is also talked about. That's to me, is the, is the future where there'll be a lot of popularity of such tools, much better options for buying renewable energy for everyone. This series is called Insight Story, and it's all about sharing insight with the business audience. So would you just like to share each of you a diamond piece of insight? What's the one thing that when you're a business is starting out, they should know or you wish you'd known when you started? Let's start with you, Faroz. What I would suggest is start now, don't wait. I think, you know, the sooner you get onto the road to doing something, whether it's, as Nilesh said, just understanding your footprint, understanding what your needs are, etc., do that. I think the sooner you start, the better it is. And I think it's surprising just how beneficial it is for business. Start sooner rather than later. Wonderful. And Nilesh, what's your insight? Yeah, I think the, the pandemic for the last few years has already dropped us a gem, which is digital. I think we have to go digital and that is, uh, there's probably no other option in the future anyway. And with that, you can already see a lot of things that you could do by doing that analytics of your data. In general, I would say for business owners, my advice would be to start with assessment. I'm sure business owners are getting bombarded by technologies. And nowadays saying, oh, my technology is the best. If you use mine, you would save 30% or 40%. But how do you assess them? How do you make sure that you can quantify their impact? My advice would be to start with the assessment first. Great. So rather than getting bamboozled by the tech, really stop and thinking about the data and knowing and understanding what it means for the business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you to Nilesh Jadav and Froze Kur for sharing their insights and vast experience on the subject of smart energy and how to save resources using tech. Now, perhaps now is a good time to say that if you're enjoying our brand of insight, you can read more stories on the topics we cover in Secure Futures, Kaspersky's digital magazine about innovative tech for innovative leaders. There are loads of tech-related features, including articles by privacy advocate Cory Doctorow, a deep delve into the history of electricity production, a primer on smart grids, and a piece on how a data centre in Ireland is using excess energy to power homes. You can find the link to Secure Futures in the Insight Story show notes. So wherever you are in your energy strategy, as any new technology arrives, so do new threats to our online security. And providing protection against those kind of threats is, of course, what Kaspersky is all about. 
So to give us some insight into the cybersecurity implications of smart grids, I'm joined by Fabio Asselini, Head of Research in Latin America for Kaspersky's global research and analysis team, known as GREAT. They spend all their time uncovering the cyber threats that face us. Hi, Fabio. Hello. So when we're thinking about um, energy, we often think about that as something very, very solid and dependable, but that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes we have seen attacks on our energy infrastructures. Yeah, we saw a lot of uh, destructive attacks against civilian infrastructure, not only power grids, energy grids, but also infrastructure systems as well. We saw a lot of attacks impacting energy distribution in the country level. We saw the rise of a lot of Maurer families targeting such systems. And we saw a lot of attacks in the past that affected such systems. I think the most well-known attack was the Stuxnet targeted attack in 2010. But over these years, we saw the systems getting more connected because they need to be managed by their administrators. And we saw the rise of new attacks. We saw recently attacks against energy and atomic agencies. And for sure, while the systems are getting more connected, we can expect more attacks targeting the civilian infrastructure, especially energy grid. So do you think this might move its way through to new forms of energy like smart grids or even microgrids if they're not properly protected. Yeah, we in some countries we are seeing the rise and it's getting bigger and bigger the adoption of corporate power grid and personal power grid running in the systems. And and of course, the systems are not uh, well protected as a national power grid. We saw like the systems uh, normally connected to the internet using old hardware, vulnerable hardware and vulnerable software. And these systems are rarely updated. And of course, this is an open opportunity for criminals to perform attacks. So you need to do a full security audit before you launch one of these microgrids or smart grids. Oh, yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, security is not the priority in these systems when they are designed. Because uh, we're talking about old technology and on that time, security attacks or cyber attacks was not in their list of priorities. So uh, right now, if you have a system and it's connected, you need to be worried about attacks and someone having access remotely and doing changes on the system. Thanks, Fabio. So energy networks are far from safe as houses. If you're planning to invest in smart meters or smart grids, it's vital to prepare for cyber attacks. You can get in touch with Kaspersky, who have enterprise-grade cybersecurity solutions that are custom-designed for many industry sectors. For one cybersecurity ecosystem for all your needs, search Kaspersky Enterprise on your smart speaker or check the show notes. That's it for this edition of Insight Story, Tech Trends Unpacked, brought to you by Kaspersky. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. Just click follow and you'll get every edition in the series. We have a go at unblocking blockchain, understanding artificial intelligence and machine learning, working out what digital trust really means, getting to the bottom of what the metaverse is and why it matters, and also exploring the wonderful world of mixed reality. 
If you want to get ahead, you can't afford to miss it. Till next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, I thought you'd gone, Dolly. Uh, so why can't I ask you about your power source? Is there something you're not If you've enjoyed Inside Story, Kaspersky has another two great series that you might like. Fast Forward by Tomorrow Unlocked explores the past, present and future of the technologies around us. Season one is out now with episodes about our robot colleagues, supermarkets of the future and more. And season two is going to drop in May with six fresh new episodes, including more about the metaverse and women in gaming. Subscribe now so you don't miss it. And if you want to hear the latest news and views from the world of cybersecurity, join Jeff Esposito in the US and David Buxton in the UK for Kaspersky Transatlantic. They chat security around current tech news and recent topics, including chat, GBT, and a fish that plays Pokemon. You'll find links to both these podcasts in our show notes. Mm-hmm.